Regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us on the program. We're going to be talking about uh, smart guns today. Yeah, as it turns out, uh, gun control activists, you know, for decades have been demanding, in some cases, that smart guns be the only guns sold in this country are now starting to express some reservations about the technology. Now that uh, a company is taking pre-orders, they say their uh, smart gun will ship by the end of the year. And uh, hmm, all of a sudden, it's a uh, new day for uh, gun control activists when it comes to this tech. But we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do, I want to share with you a wonderful company and a new sponsor for our program, located in the center of the military universe, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. At Defender Ammunition, you'll never wait weeks for ammo. Whatever you see on the website is actually in stock and ships the same day. And this is a pretty patriotic bunch. They source every component they can from U.S. companies to ensure that your dollars are going to support companies right here at home. Yes, Defender has exceptionally priced, high-quality ammo, but they're also great folks who fight for the defenders of our country. Everybody employed at Defender Ammunition is either former military or military-adjacent, and that's why they give back whatever they can to support charities for our beloved service members. I had the chance to fire some rounds in the field, and I can testify that Defender Ammunition is the kind of company with quality products and American values that you'll want to support. The gun industry may seem massive, but it gets a lot smaller when you look for people with common American values. If you want to try out some of their ammo for free, check out their brass exchange program. They encourage customers to trade in fired brass in exchange for a gift card. People love this program, as you can imagine. Visit DefenderAmmunition.com and get to know a gem of an ammo company in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Check out all of the details on the brass exchange and more. And be sure to thank them for supporting this program and go on to save high-quality manufactured ammunition. Again, at DefenderAmmunition.com. So let's talk about uh, smart guns here. We've been uh, reporting on this at uh, Bearing Arms the past week or so. BioFire, a uh, Colorado-based company, uh, announcing, well, the headlines were that they were they were the first to bring a smart gun to market. And that's not quite true. They're taking pre-orders. We've actually had other companies take pre-orders. Um, they haven't actually released any any product yet. So I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm taking a very wait-and-see approach here because we've been hearing this Frankly, for decades, right? Smart gun technology is just around the corner. Uh, we should be ready to go in, uh, you know, quarter four of 2018. I mean, uh, 2019. I mean, 2020. I mean, 2020. Yeah. So it just, I'm not saying it's vaporware. Uh, there have been some folks who've, you know, had a chance to uh, test out BioFire, including uh, uh, Forgotten Weapons. Um, and, you know, the reviews, I think, have been mm, fairly positive. Um I'm not opposed to smart gun technology in theory. I don't necessarily know that it's anything I will purchase for myself and certainly not at a price tag of $1,500 or $1,600. But, uh, you know, if somebody wants this and it's available, okay, we'll see what happens. I am concerned, uh, and we'll get to some of those concerns in a little bit, about the prospect of mandates and things of that nature. But it's odd to me to see gun control activists expressing concerns about smart gun tech, given that they're the ones who have been really pushing for this for decades. The Denver Post uh, had a profile of a biofire a couple of days ago, and about halfway through the story, I ran across this uh, interesting passage. While the aim is to minimize deaths, the Denver Post writes, adding more guns to the hundreds of millions already in circulation carries its own risk, especially if people who wouldn't purchase a standard gun decide to buy a smart gun. 
The presence of a gun increases the risk of death by suicide and accidental shooting, said Adam Skaggs, vice president at Gifford's Law Center, citing numerous research studies. While the technology might keep that person's child from shooting themselves, it wouldn't stop the authorized user. Skaggs says, quote, it's kind of a brave new world. In theory, there will be benefits. And in theory, there will be risks by putting these guns on the market. It's hard to say. Well, that certainly has not been the attitude, again, of uh, gun control activists going back Decades. In fact, as the Denver Post noted, some of the backlash against smart guns can be traced to a since-changed 2002 New Jersey law that required all gun shops in the state to only sell smart guns once such guns became available. The mandate violated the Second Amendment, opponents said. And in 2019, New Jersey lawmakers amended the law to require that licensed fire retail dealers make smart guns available once they are included on a state roster of approved personalized handguns. Yeah, I mean, again, this has been... The mentality and the attitude of gun control advocates for decades, this cram down, right? As soon as this technology becomes available, that's the only thing you're going to be allowed to buy. And yeah, that got people's backs up. Even the revised New Jersey law, I think, is a uh, infringement on the rights of those gun sellers who are being told, hey, as soon as a smart gun is put on this roster of uh, approved handguns in uh, New Jersey, by the way, the roster itself likely to be challenged in court. I mean, we've seen uh, in California the uh, Unsafe Handgun Act and the California roster challenged in court. And uh, a lot of those provisions, micro-stamping, you know, loaded chamber indicator, um, have been ruled a violation of Second Amendment rights by a California judge. They've said, no, you can't require these sorts of uh, uh, design features before a firearm can be sold in California because you're restricting the ability of people to acquire commonly owned firearms. So the New Jersey roster itself, I think, is challengeable. Um, The provision that, again, requires FFLs in the state to carry at least one model of smart gun once it becomes available, I think is also, again, an infringement on their rights as business owners. Um, Mandating, again, that they sell a particular product, whether or not there is demand, frankly, whether or not there's supply. Uh, of that product. You know, BioFire, again, is uh, touting the customability of their firearms, which I guess is why it takes so long for them to be produced and shipped out. But it doesn't sound like BioFire is going to be available at your local FFL uh, anytime soon. Um, interestingly, some of the uh, the concerns <laughs> over uh, uh, by gun control activists, maybe because they're starting to realize that Smart gun technology, in theory, could actually be a benefit to uh, at least some gun owners. The folks at uh, Open Source Defense, uh, great folks, by the way, a great group, uh, they tweeted out, uh, for gun control groups, the fact that previous smart guns don't work properly has been a feature, not a bug, similar to how the whole point of micro-stamping was that it didn't exist. They make a good point, but uh, at their substack, they also talk about uh, the bull case for smart guns as opposed to the bear case, right? So what are the, some potential positives of the development of smart gun technology? Uh, and I thought this was worth highlighting. They say in all of the discussion of the details and implications, both identical and legal, of a biometric locked gun, folks miss the tech development here that if it's pursued, is actually going to have the biggest impact on the future of guns. To make the authentication more robust to someone simply opening the gun up and removing a physical lock, BioFire implemented a fire-by-wire system. So the gun has no mechanical link between the trigger and the sear. When you pull the trigger, they say three things happen. An onboard computer detects that the trigger has been pressed. The computer runs some code and decides what to do, and the gun fires. 
As open source defense says, pay attention to step two, because guns just became software. Something that they say uh, this technology, uh, quote, goes way beyond biofire. They say you can imagine a bunch of gun companies making fire-by-wire systems. And then an entire ecosystem of fire control software, both open and closed source, on top of that. Side note, they say the first prosecution for machine gun software is going to be an interesting test case. And in a facts on the ground sense, widespread fire-by-wire will be the end of machine gun regulation. Get ready for a court case about whether possession of a machine gun download is a felony. They add, if fire-by-wire takes hold, it's going to change the industry. Literally, it'll be a different set of companies. History tells us, they write, when an industry's foundational technology changes, most of the incumbent companies don't survive the shift. This is textbook innovator's dilemma stuff. If your core competency needs to change from selling pistol contracts to the government to writing consumer software that integrates with the top two or three most popular fire control APIs, it's probably not going to go well for you. Now, Open Source Defense uh, says that they'll be taking a look at the bear case, right, the downsides of uh, smart gun tech going forward. But even this potential upside for gun owners, again, is going to be seen as a net negative for gun control activists. I think they liked the idea of having a lock. Right, maybe a wearable. You gotta, you gotta have a ring on your finger, and when the uh, ring and the RFID, you know, uh, connects with the gun, boop, then the gun is unlocked, and then you can fire. I don't think the gun control activists were really thinking this through. That if you again are completely redesigning how a firearm functions, so that there's no mechanical parts that are being used between the pull of the trigger and the firing of the gun, instead, basically, again, it's software. Well, that opens up smart guns to a whole host of opportunities and challenges, right? Including the ability to uh, hack that software or add your own uh, software. It is sort of a brave new world here. And I don't think that the gun control activists, I think now some of them are finally starting to realize, oh, oh, this isn't, uh, there, there's some unintended consequences to this technology too, stuff that we might not like. Now, again, whether or not the potential advantages of a fire-by-wire system are enough to uh, supplant, uh, quote-unquote, dumb guns as the most uh, popular firearms in America, I think we are decades away from that happening. Um, This is still technology that is very much in its infancy. And honestly, again, I'm not convinced that there is a huge demand uh, for this, although, you know, based on open source defense's uh, view of the potential positives, uh, you can see a subculture of smart gun owners um, develop. But I don't think that that subculture would be content to simply buy a gun out of the box and and, and, and keep it the way it is. I think you're going to be looking at the tinkerers. You're going to be looking at the engineers. You're going to be looking at the people who want to. Uh, again, push the limits of this technology uh, in some cases that gun control advocates might not have a problem with. In other cases that gun control advocates very much would have a problem with. Um, again, I, 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 I think we're in the early stages here, but I do find it fascinating that now that a smart gun is potentially coming to market by the end of the year, uh, gun control activists are starting to uh, express some reservations about the technology. It's not the promised solution that they proclaimed it would be. Oh, no, no, no. Now it appears to be just another firearm that needs to be tightly restricted, highly regulated, and who knows, maybe one day even banned outright. 
All right, listen, before we get to our uh, armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report, there's something we really have to think about. What is happening with the banks right now? It's literally crazy. Can you imagine what this is going to do to the retirement savings of America? I want to tell you what I heard from Augusta Precious Metals. Gold mine's on fire right now because people want gold IRAs to protect their retirement savings. And get this, if you have 100000 plus saved for retirement, Augusta will pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. That's a big deal, a pure gold coin for free. So reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and learn how you can get started with gold. Don't let bank failures get you down. Get this free gold and get some peace of mind. Just call 855-222-4997 to learn whether gold can help protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 855-222-4997. Again, 855-222-4997. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a uh, case out of Los Angeles, where police say a 24-year-old has confessed to killing a 60-year-old man who was painted over gang graffiti. This uh, 24-year-old, I have seen uh, conflicting reports that this individual is a convicted felon, uh, that this individual was uh, convicted of multiple misdemeanors, that this individual had a lengthy criminal history. So we don't know all of the details. Uh, although hopefully we will learn some of these specifics here about the criminal history of Jamal Jackson. Uh, he told police, according to the Los Angeles Times, that he and other gang members had tagged this wall uh, on Saturday in Northridge, California, and they got offended when they saw guys painted over it. Um, the guys who were painted over just looking to make a couple extra bucks, apparently. They had gone up to the uh, owner of the property and said, hey, we can paint this for you. And he said, sure, here's a little paint. So they were outside painting over the graffiti when uh, police say, Jackson got out of his car, walked up to the painters, and shot into the group with a uh, semi-automatic handgun. Uh, Homicide detective Gabe Bucknell said that Jackson, quote, broke down crying and was very remorseful in talking to officers. Los Angeles Times says that Jackson was arrested in Ontario, California on Sunday by a task force comprised of local and federal law enforcement agencies. Times reports that he's previously been arrested numerous times in in Los Angeles on domestic violence charges as well as illegal firearm possession and grand theft auto. Jackson uh, spent a total of 210 days in jail in a misdemeanor domestic violence case and also had a restraining order violation on his record, according to the detective. Again, I've seen uh, reported elsewhere that Jackson is a convicted felon, uh, but no indication that he spent any more time behind bars than the 210 days on this uh, domestic uh, violence misdemeanor case that uh, the homicide detective mentioned. So once again, we have a guy with a lengthy criminal history, uh, reputed gang ties, very little consequences to show for his repeated crimes, uh, at least as far as the judicial system is concerned. And despite all of California's gun control laws, this 24-year-old allegedly had no problem whatsoever illegally getting a hold of a gun and using it, allegedly, to gun down a 60-year-old man. So. What happened here? I mean, California's gun control laws are supposed to stop situations like this from taking place. We we are told, in fact, on a daily basis by gun control advocates that if we only had at the federal level the type of laws that California has in place now, that violent crime would disappear, it would go away. We wouldn't have to worry about these things. And yet, in California, where these laws are already in place, you got guys like Jamal Jackson. You have the uh, three reputed gang members in uh, the San Francisco area who are accused of shooting and killing a five-year-old girl as they were uh, firing at another car on a Bay Area freeway. 
Now, as it turns out, despite all of the restrictions that California places on legal gun owners, gang members, violent criminals still have no trouble whatsoever illegally getting a hold of guns and using those guns at the commission of a violent crime because, I think in large part, they don't fear the consequences. They're not worried about what happens. They're not particularly concerned about getting caught, first of all. Clearance rate for nonviolent or uh, non-fatal shootings is well below 50%. And in a lot of jurisdictions, even homicide clearance rates are at 50% or less. So they stand a pretty good chance of getting away with their crimes. But if they're caught, if they're arrested, well, in Los Angeles County, you're dealing with George Gascon, a prosecutor who seems to side with criminals far more often than the victims. Uh, at least that's how it seems, how it appears, how it feels a lot of times. So, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, California's gun control laws are making a difference. A, we know that criminals don't obey them. Uh, but B, we also know that when individuals are arrested, like Mr. Jackson has been on multiple occasions, accused of violent crimes, the system offers a slap on the wrist more than anything else. So, rather than putting more gun control laws on the books, which, of course, that's what they're going to do in Sacramento. Maybe, just maybe, the answer involves getting tough on repeat violent offenders like Mr. Jackson. Today's armed citizen story from Smyrna, Georgia, where police say a homeowner shot and killed a man who was breaking into his home on Sunday night. Uh, neighbors say it's a pretty quiet neighborhood. Never seen anything like this before now. Uh, first responders racing to the home on uh, Sunday evening. Police have not released the name of the homeowner or the man who was shot and killed. Uh, Paige Nowaki, who lives nearby, says it's terrifying to hear in this type of neighborhood. It's a quiet place, a couple miles from a Truist Park in Smyrna. Say it's the kind of place everybody waves to each other. Crime practically unheard of. Uh, Nowaki said people are protecting their houses. It happens more times than not. I'm glad the homeowners are okay and protecting themselves, but still it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely it is. You know, you think your neighborhood is a safe place until all of a sudden it is not. Uh, Dakota Jared, another neighbor, says there are going to be a million arguments for why it's a good or bad thing or surprising or not. Uh, Jared moved into the neighborhood last year. He says he works with firearms. And he says, uh, you know, you get it for a sense of protection, but you don't want to use it. No, you don't. Um, I can tell you, as somebody who has owned a gun for decades, I will be, I'll be happy if uh, hopefully decades from now, when I am on my deathbed, and I'm looking back at a life well lived, I can say, I'm glad I never had to use my gun in self-defense. I hope to be able to say that. I never want to be in a position where I'm in fear of my life. Or I am afraid of harm coming to my children or to my spouse. Or I'm out in public and I see somebody else's life in danger. Uh, and I have the ability to respond. I'm not looking for those situations. I don't want to be in those situations. But I understand that those situations may exist. Look, I don't want to have my kitchen burned down. But I understand it's a possibility, which is why I have a fire extinguisher in there. Same reason I own and carry a firearm. I'm not looking for trouble. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not walking around edgy and anxious and just hoping somebody will start something with me. I try to walk with love in my heart and a gun on my hip. And I never, ever want to be in a position where I am forced to use that firearm in self-defense. But again, I recognize that in the world we live in, it's not up to me 
ultimately it's up to those individuals who might see me as a victim or might see someone else as a victim where I could be in a position to intervene. Uh, police say the investigation in Smyrna is underway. At least uh, at, at this point, no charges have been filed against the homeowner. It appears that this was a case of self-defense. We will uh, keep our eyes on this situation. Um, but, you know, I also want to talk about these other cases, one in uh, Kansas City, one in New York, where uh, individuals have been charged with basically opening fire on people who just came to their door. Um, in Kansas City, this was, like, I think, a 16-year-old uh, teenager who was shot by an 85-year-old man. In New York, it was a 20-year-old who was part of a group that I guess were looking for a party. Got turned around. They're driving away. The homeowner allegedly steps outside, fires shots uh, at the car, and strikes and kills this 20-year-old. Um, we'll see how these cases play out. I'm not defending either of these uh, gun owners here. In fact, I have got real concerns about uh, what happened in each of these cases. You know, the law varies from state to state in terms of justifiable use of force. But generally speaking, you need to have a reasonable fear of death or great bodily injury before you can act with lethal force to protect yourself. And it sounds like in neither of these cases was there a reasonable fear that the uh, gun owner's life was in danger. I, I confess I haven't followed the intricacies of either of these cases, uh, and we, there's a lot of information we don't know. But there are troubling aspects, deeply troubling aspects to both of these cases that uh, I, I, I think dramatically undercut of not negate completely uh, any kind of self-defense argument. Um, and I've seen folks say, well, you know, hold on, we need to wait and see more information. Absolutely. I'm all in favor of waiting until more information comes out. But based on what we've seen to date in both the Kansas City case and the New York case, I don't see that the elements of self-defense were present. Uh, and it sounds to me like charges were the right thing in each of those cases. You know, the last thing we want, I, how do I want to say this? I said a couple minutes ago, I walk around with love in my heart and a gun on my hip. I don't walk around with fear. Anymore than I walk around with anger is my overriding emotional state, right? I think it's a horrible way to live. I am aware that there are bad people out there. I'm aware that there are violent criminals out there. But I believe, and hopefully I always will believe, that there are far more good people than bad in this world. Uh, and my first instinct when I see a car driving down my driveway that I don't recognize is not to go grab my AR-15 and to, uh, you know, stand at the ready. Um, when I see a strange car driving down my driveway, do my spidey senses start tingling a little bit? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have heightened awareness. But I'm not automatically assuming that that person is there to do me harm. And you know what? So far, I've been right. Every time. So, we see these tragedies happen. And again, we don't know what was in the mind of these individuals who have now been charged with crimes. but. I don't think that we should live our life in fear. I think we should have a rational approach to how we go about our life. And that is that, yes, violent crime is a possibility. Just like your kitchen might catch on fire. Just like you might get into a car accident when you leave the home. But that should not cloud our judgment 
to the point that we see threats that aren't there. And um seems to me like that may be the case in both the Kansas City and uh, New York tragedies. All right, today's uh, good deed of the day. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A, a good Samaritan and a sheriff's deputy in Fond du Lac County, Wisconsin, who were able to save teenagers after a fiery car crash. And I got to say, this one hit me in the feels. Um, I have a friend who's uh, who has another very good friend who just lost his son uh, in a car accident like this. Um, his son and uh, his son's friend were both killed uh, in a crash. They could not get out of the uh, the car that was on fire. And I know how hard it is to lose a child. I can't imagine how hard it is to lose a child in those circumstances. And I'm so glad and grateful that the uh, teens in this case were rescued. Uh, this was last Saturday, April 15th, about 9 p.m. Authorities in Final Act County got a call about a single vehicle rollover crash near Osceola. Uh, reports indicated that the vehicle was on fire in a ditch. It was overturned on its roof. There was a 16-year-old girl and a 17-year-old girl trapped inside. Before the Fond du Lac County Sheriff's Office even got there, a good Samaritan grabbed a fire extinguisher from the back of his vehicle and started to try to put the fire out. Shortly after, deputy arrived on scene, used his fire extinguisher as well. Together, the two were able to knock down the flames enough that they could get both teenage girls out of the vehicle. Uh, thankfully, they both just suffered minor injuries. They were taken to a, a local hospital, but they are going to be okay. Um, driver apparently failed to turn as they entered a curve. Vehicle hit a ditch, then it overturned, struck a, a driveway culvert. Um, amazingly, neither of the teenagers were wearing seatbelts during this crash. It, it really is truly incredible that they were not more seriously injured. Um, authorities say that the speed appears to have been a factor as well. So. Uh, these teens incredibly lucky, A, to survive that crash, but B, to have had those uh, first responders, including that good Samaritan who just had him passing by and, again, had a fire extinguisher in his car. Not thinking every day, again, that today's going to be the day I'm going to use it, right? But it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And as it turns out, Saturday night was the night he needed that fire extinguisher. And having it there in his trunk, may very well have saved the lives of these two teenagers. So I wish I knew the name of this anonymous Good Samaritan, but uh, whoever he is in the right place at the right time, prepared, willing, and able to do the right thing, we thank him for his very good deed. And that is all the time we've got for you in this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being with us as always. Looking forward to being back again tomorrow. Don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. We've got you covered on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all around the nation. And if you like what you see, I would always encourage you to become a VIP member. In fact, if you become a VIP Gold member, then you can take part in uh, Wednesday's live chat with myself and Hot Air's Ed Morrissey, along with our other fabulous VIP Gold members. It's one of my favorite hours of the work week, and I would so love to see you there. All you have to do, go to barrenarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't find anywhere else, because your support really does matter. And it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. All right. Enjoy the rest of your 2A Tuesday. Looking forward to being back with you tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe. And be free.